I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, everybody? Happy Wednesday. I've been away for a moment just because it's so hot. I feel like I'm melting. The recording was really one of the last things on my mind. So I do apologize for the absence. But I'm back with a special guest. It's going to be a great episode. He's a returning guest, Celtics Blog alumni uh, somebody i personally believe probably the best writer on the celtics beat and that's saying something given the amount of talent that's around but with that said and i mean i stand by that i have stood by that for a few years at this point i'm joined by mr jared weiss of the athletic how you doing jared my man i'm uh, well it sounds like for you it's hotter than the jd davison summer league hype over there i'm sorry you're melting over there oh man honestly it's like I just don't understand how I'm meant to survive. <laughs> Sounds like you're in Vegas. Unfortunately, there's not air conditioning and cigarette smoke everywhere. Well, there's probably cigarette smoke, not air conditioning. See, see, I got married in Vegas, which isn't as taboo as it is for people that live in America. Like in England, that's quite exotic. And um, really? yeah, like it's just like, oh, you 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 got married abroad. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Where yeah. in Vegas did you do it? Um, so we've done it just on the outskirts, in the, so it wasn't like um, on the strip or anything like that. So we we um, what happened was my best friend got married who lives in LA, and we were saving for our wedding at the time. And he was like, "Hey, I want you to be part of the wedding party." So it was like, "Well, if we do that, we can, we have to get married there because the trip's expensive as it is." So we did it just on the outskirts of Vegas. Um, so not on the strip and not in old vegas but like kind of further out just it was still a chapel but obviously there was no elvis there was a proper minister and stuff it was pretty cool um but i wore a short suit like lebron did you remember because lebron had worn one at the time and i was like dude i'm not gonna survive in 115 degree heat (laughs) (laughs) so i was in tom brown custom made too i assume uh no no well maybe maybe no mine was like off the rack i think it was like tj max or something but uh, yeah so vegas to, to an english person getting married there was fine so but i definitely believe that it's not very possible to be hired than jd davison somebody kind <laughs> he's good i mean we'll get into it he's i, I honestly didn't think I, I didn't think he surprised me much with anything except that he just was able to do what he does in summer league i thought he would struggle more than he did at least to create and to play defense but no he was good i i really enjoy watching him so here's the thing, right? And we can start here. Like you did a huge deep dive, deep dive on Davison, and then I kind of did one shortly after. And one of the things that I was really concerned about coming into the summer league was he was really one-dimensional in terms of he he always had to go right to be any form of effective, right? If if he drove left, he'd have to euro step right, or he'd have to snake his dribble to get to that right hand side of the floor. Then in summer league. He was he looked so much more ambidextrous and so much more comfortable on the ball, even if he was going left. He didn't seem to force his way over. And that just seemed like a huge adjustment for in, in such a short time span. Was that something you were looking out for? Or Yeah, I, I think you're giving him more credit than I'm ready to give him credit for. I, I did we did see him a couple times. He would drive left and he would take that righty floater layup right over the defender. Like that's getting smacked into the stands every time in the NBA. That's a especially because they know it's coming. He needs to develop a left hand finish. He needs a scoop layup. He probably needs a little bit of like a uh, when he drives to the block, he kind of stops and fades a little bit and takes kind of a floating jumper off the off the glass. Like there there are ways for him to deal with not having a left hand finish. 
and maybe that comes three or four years down the road, he can do that a little bit. But you're getting on the main point with him that I think was the reason why I feel like I really like the pick now is that he just was more composed than I think he got credit for as a prospect. That even though he does sometimes jump in the air and have to make absurd passes, sometimes he somehow pulls them off. A lot of the times he turns the ball over. What I do like about him is that his pace reading the game is decent for a second round pick. It is he, he plays at a high speed. He slows it down. He gets he kind of gets a grip on where he's at and he tries to make a play from there. I do think eventually he's going to be decent enough at it that I think we could see him in a rotation at some point. Where do you stand on like so? One of the biggest things for me, well, for anybody really, when you're talking about Celtics, is defense, right? And I feel like when you watch the college clips of him, which I'm sure you've probably seen more than I have, when he's def- when he's defending on the perimeter, I felt like he was very easily beat off the dribble, but then his athleticism bailed him out a little bit in the rear view. So he was definitely good playing that lock and trail, but he struggled to stay in front of his guy. And that that's, to me, one of the biggest concerns coming into against NBA competition because if they beat you off that dribble, they're so much more talented at creating the separation that d- does not that guarantee you're going to be able to get back into play the way you can against college and G League competition. Yeah, I mean, he's so his whole thing, for one, you're you're crediting him for lock and trail. That's happening when he's guarding a guy straight up in isolation. You're not supposed to ever do that lock and trail. <laughs> you're supposed to stay in front of the guy. You know, for people who don't know what that means, lock and trail means that when the guy's going over the screen, you're locking onto his hip and you're trailing him and you're staying on him tight enough that he doesn't feel comfortable shooting the ball because you're right there to block the shot. And he is good at that. He gets up in the air. He doesn't foul a ton on those. I think he'll foul a lot more in the in the league where, like, Guys like Chris Paul, they love it when you lock a trail on them because he, he just hits the brakes and he throws himself into you and you just crush him in the air. So that's going to be the kind of thing he has to learn how to do better. But you are right that his reaction speed is not great at the point of attack the way it should be. His energy is good at the point of attack on defense. So he's getting into the ball handlers. He's diving for the diving to the floor. He's trying to push and transition when he gets the ball. Like he does all that stuff well. Just the stuff that keeps you on the floor in the NBA, that's the stuff he doesn't have yet. And that's the concern, right? Like I was very like not down on him. He's the fifty third pick. Like you have to have realistic expectations at that point. But I do. I came away from my deep dive, and I don't know. I'm curious to see if you had a similar thought pattern. And I was like, he'll be lucky to start in the G League. Now, coming into summer league, I kind of had that same thought. He's a bench G League talent with tremendous upside. Coming away from summer league, I'm like, this dude's going to start, and he might get a few call ups to to the Celtics and maybe play some spot garbage minutes. That's funny you say that because uh, I just took a break from writing my summer league review story where I'm just kind of going through all the guys. And the thing I wrote in there is I think he's ready to start in Maine this upcoming season. So I think we're on the same view of that. And I mean, he I, they should be starting him because they want him to just go up there, go out there and just screw up a ton. Just learn through mistakes, be in an environment where you're allowed to make those mistakes. And I think what's good about him is even if he's screwing up, He's the kind of guy that keeps the energy going. So even if he's making his mistakes, he is keeping everybody involved. He's clearly a willing passer. He definitely looked like a pass-first player to me out there. So he's probably going to turn it over a lot, and that's probably a good thing because it's going to force the G League team to get out and run and have to learn how to play transition defense and all that stuff. So I think that's what they want them to be doing. So Davison at the point, honestly, is a good development thing for everybody because he's going to be developing at such a high pace doesn't mean he's going to be improving at a high pace, but he's going to be learning at a high pace. 
do you think they put him in some off-ball role there as well? Because they did that for him in Alabama, and I just, in my head, I think his earliest path to minutes will be in more of an off-ball role, so getting him ready to be more of a catch-and-shoot guy, which was also a concern, that could be beneficial to him as well. So you still want him operating as a primary ball handler, but for a few possessions a game, maybe take him off ball, ask him to operate as a screener, a screener and, you know, maybe come off pin downs and just release a catch and shoot or a catch and drive. Yeah. That's like, that's an experiment kind of thing. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because his own college coach said that he's a combo guard. I even asked him about that at, out in Vegas and you watch him out there, like, that dude looks like a point guard to me, like, and, and maybe by necessity in that he doesn't have the shot uh, off the bounce yet to be able to do it, but he looks like he should be running point when he's out there most of the time next to a wing creator. And so if Maine has another point guard they need to develop, then sure, I could see him playing off the ball, but I think his role is primarily going to be on the ball based on what I'm seeing so far. Okay, that makes sense. And then the defensive upside really fits in with what the Celtics like to do on the perimeter as well. Yeah, I mean, they can play drop coverage with him. He's going to lock and trail. He's going to be fast around those screens. Uh, but being fast around the screen in the NBA is nice, but can you have the technique to not get clipped off by the big? Like, he is a big dude, but I feel like he's someone that can get knocked off balance pretty easily by other centers that, you know, setting screens on him. So that's, a, I think, the big thing defensively is to figure out, is he going to be able to actually stay tight around drop coverage? And then the other question is, is he going to be able to pressure shots from the rear view without fouling? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> because he's got, like, One this day. is what really shocks me with him, right? Like, he's super athletic, but it's like, you see a lot of these guys with the bounce that, that have that similar bounce and that athletic, that athletic burst that like solely rely on that. And then Davison kind of, he keeps it in his pocket and you don't see him really lean on it until he's in trouble. And I'd like to see him lean on it earlier just because that could put him in advantageous positions rather than having to keep bailing himself out. Yeah, and it just shows there's different types of athleticism, like quick twitch versus bounce athleticism. He's more of a bounce kind of guy. Um, he does have some quickness to him for sure, but like for him, it's his breakaway speed, acceleration stuff. It's his flying through the air kind of stuff. Uh, his second jump, like the dude's second jumps, like he's a center, which is really cool. That's why he makes all these exciting rebounds and tip dunks and all that kind of stuff. But he clearly is like reaction speed is as much mental as it is physical. And so the, it's not a surprise that the mental side and the reads and all that kind of stuff is the stuff where he has his weak points right now. That's what you expect for a guy getting picked 53rd with that kind of athleticism. Yeah, it's the upside, right? You're, you're picking him based on what he can be, not what he is right now. Exactly. And then we'll stay on Summer League for a moment because obviously you've got Cab and Gale there as well. Is that the right pronunciation? Is that how you're pronouncing it? I think that's how it's right. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Doesn't mean it's right. I was saying Kabengale at the beginning because it just sounds awesome. But I think Kabengale, <laughs> I think it's Fiondu Kabengale is how I've been hearing it the most. The, I think the most, the best name I heard at Summer League was Booya or Booye, which was Booya. I just go Booyakasha. <laughs> He's a real NBA. He's on fire at all times. Yeah, dude. He's like proper NBA Jam 98. <laughs> but when we're talking Kevin Gale, like that's another guy that came in with low expectations. Well, I had low expectations of him. Um, and he just proved that he could hang like super physical presence on the post. Great around the rim, a true rim runner, but he's got that range. He seemed like a multifaceted big. And part of me was expecting that to be detrimental for him in terms of, trying to earn a two-way slot because there was 
in my head, I was like, well, with Travion Williams, you're trying to develop a very specific skill set that you can plug and play. Whereas Cabin Cabin Gale, you're trying to develop multiple facets, which might mean that his development, uh, like his his development, isn't as linear as what Travion's would have been. Yeah, I mean, I, coming into summer league, Fee was the guy that I thought I could see him making the roster just because of need, and he looked good in the G League last year. He's a former first round pick, right? Like he has, he has this, he has the size and the skill set to make you think he could be useful enough to make the roster. And then you see him out there, and the thing that impressed me the most was I liked his defensive communication. Like they were playing some drop coverage when, at the games that I was at early on, where he was up on the ball, he was you know he was making an impact on the ball handler. He was taking away a lot of the rim uh, rim runs. I thought he was doing a really nice job guarding in space. He you know, had some good rotations into the paint to be able to deflect shots to get drivers away. And it's it's hard to judge a center on defense in the summer league because like, this, the defense is so bad overall that they're put to work in ways that they usually probably won't have to as much because the defense won't be as much of a sieve on the perimeter. But so I considering that, I thought he handled it pretty well defensively. And then on offense... You know, he, he does have some nice passing vision from, like, the high post. So we saw some instances where he was kind of catching the ball out 20 feet out so we could shoot it, and he would make a nice kick across the court. But you're mostly just trying to get him to do the Rob Williams, where it's like you're just lobbing it up to him or he's hiding in the dunker spot, and he's just trying to get a shot off from there. But he's not really creating much besides that. We've, we've You've mentioned drop coverage a few times. You've mentioned it with Davison. Obviously, that was more anecdotal. But then you've mentioned it with Cabangele, and I'm assuming that's how they're going to ask Luke Cornett to play as well. In the playoffs, we saw them kind of go a switch one through four with a five-man in drop, and then depending on who the guard was, they'd ask the guard to play up to touch or to sag off and leave a bit of space. Do you think that that's going to be more of Udoka's system this year because of the personnel he's got coming off the bench that we're going to see a lot more of that switch one through four with the big man in drop? Maybe they even ask, well, it won't be Rob, it'll be Al because Rob will play that free safety role. Do you think that's what we're kind of trending towards this season? Yeah, I, I think that while they did switch more than any team in the league last year, I think at the, in the end they still do plenty of drop coverage and they are very adaptable with um, with skill and or based on matchup. And so I just think Davison is the kind of guy where his strength is not going to be in his switching at this point, so they probably would try to do a little bit more drop for him just to play to his strengths at that point. But maybe they just feed him to the dogs and have him switch. Obviously, in Maine, they're probably going to switch a ton so that he can learn how to do it. So I think it was just that. Also, probably just my bias in my head just because recency bias has it that they play drop coverage because that's what they've been doing almost the entire playoffs. Um, and then also just you don't want to run the exact same system next year. You're going to have to make some tweaks. Everybody learns what you did last year. Now you got to keep innovating. So they're probably going to change something up a little bit. That's fair. That's fair. That's not a, something I'd actually consider as changing it just to keep everybody on the toes. I feel like because I'm coming into it like you were the best defensive team in the league for right, the regular season. If you alter that, like, do you want are you willing to sacrifice a little bit of that defense and be the third best defensive team? But I think at that point you're splitting hairs and as you say, keeping teams on their toes, making them have to refigure you out is far more valuable than just running the same set defensive system you did last season and being torn apart for the first few games. Yeah, and, and I don't think they're going to like do any overhauls, just like small tweaks because you're, no, you're not going to sacrifice being the best defense in the league. The The sacrifice there is not within your defensive scheme. It's push and pull between offensive priorities versus defensive priorities. And I know that last year, Ime's whole thing was 
not even talking about being a switching defense in the idea of like switching because of personnel or whatever. Their whole thing, which was a actually a, I think a smart approach, was we're gonna, we're a switching defense, and our our mindset is we guard the opponent one-on-one. It's not we switch because this is what affects the opponent. It's that we are individual defenders who want to take on whoever's in front of us. And so they, they focus on themselves rather than the opponent more so. And at least the way they talk about it, because obviously they switch up their scheme based on personnel. So they clearly, they're, you know, they're not idiots. They still defend to the personnel and to the scouting report. Um, but so I think they're going to probably carry over that mindset again to next year where that's how they're going to be talking about it. That's how they want their players thinking about it. So they're going to continue to switch because – it's not like their roster change up dramatically. The roster is pretty much the, the roster is exactly the same. Um, and then they just added Brogs in and Gallo to the core rotation. And I don't know how they're going to utilize Gallo. I know there's some talk about him playing small ball five a little bit or something like that. I think either way, he's going to have trouble defending wherever he is, unless he changes, you know, he, unless he gets in way better shape this off season, maybe that'll change. But Brogdon at his size should be a pretty solid switch defender. So the Gallo point was the next one I wanted to bring up because there is that concern. Like they in Atlanta, they did play him as a five at like in small stretches, and it was disastrous minutes defensively. And then you see the the hole at that five five spot where you're talking about the big man rotation and however you want to view Cornet is he the third big or the fifth big in the depth chart? He's still he's taking Tice's role, but. If you're not comfortable with Cornet in certain certain matchups, do you go to Gallo and how do you? hide him when you're asking him to be your your big in drop like that's a big concern for me especially when for me he's far more of a an offensive piece that you plug and play matchup dependent but he's gonna want minutes because he's good enough to deserve them and the question is what is small ball five on this team is that is that rob williams roving role or is it the what the four usually is who's the drop you know the dropping big or the switching up big up at the point of attack we you know i don't know what they mean when they're talking or what Stevens means when he's talking about that. I think Udoka mentioned it as well. So we'll see what that means. I, I think Gallo, I would rather have him on the weak side. And so he's just not getting blown by in those initial actions and putting everybody else into rotation. I'd rather him be the second side helper. And then you can try to clean up from there. You know, we'll, we'll see what they do with it. Maybe they put him up on the strong side wing where he's he doesn't have to cover as much ground he's just kind of hanging off that corner shooter and he's digging in on drives he's recovering you know who knows but either way i think for gallo it's a matter of you know he says he wants to come into boston and get that ring the best way he he can contribute there is to really focus on his conditioning and his strength training and get stronger legs and be a more capable defender because we already know what his offensive game is and that's not going to change anything Luckily, he's coming into a team whose culture is to lift weights after every win, and they win a lot. <laughs> That's true. We'll probably hear him slamming a you know forty pound medicine ball into the wall every single game. <laughs> I'll quickly Google how heavy forty pounds is. Oh, um, uh, it's uh, seventeen stone. I'm gonna guess. I have no idea though. Let's have a look. And I'm genuinely curious. I'll look afterwards. Uh, but then, obviously, we can move into like the meat and potatoes trade, as I like to call it. And I got a lot of heat for my take on this, so I'm definitely curious as your stance. And I've 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 softened in my stance since. Obviously, going back, watching the film, coming to terms with the fact that you know you will have to protect him, his him physically, and give him rest. But how do you feel about the Brogdon addition? 
I loved it. Uh, also, uh, 40 pounds is 18.14 kilograms. I meant to say kilograms on stone, but... <laughs> okay, close. so that's still pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty close. That was good math in my head. Um, I love the Brogdon deal. I've always really liked Brogdon uh, as you know a third or fourth starter on a good team, and uh, he's your sixth man. So that's uh, that's really impressive. The I, I, It's funny. I think I mentioned in one of my pieces recently that... A lot of the people I talked to at Summer League thought that they were surprised the Celtics had to give up, give up a first-round pick for him, which surprised me because I thought the last pick of the first round was a pretty damn good price for Brogdon. Uh, but I guess that maybe the context there is that the Celtics pick was like the 28th, 30th pick. You know, They're going to be one of the best teams in the league probably. So for most teams, a second-round pick is going to be a lot closer to that than their you know first-round pick. So I think, I think it was a great trade. They didn't give up much. You know, they didn't give up anything besides that. Neesmith, who maybe would have found a role in this team eventually, but you know, he's it's funny because Neesmith is probably or hopefully going to succeed in Indiana, turn into a decent rotation player, fulfill a lot of his promise, and people are going to think it was a ripoff if Brogdon doesn't succeed significantly. But you got to remember the context of what Neesmith was operating in here. Like he probably was not going to break into the rotation next year. Maybe maybe he would have, but like he was not in a situation where he could learn through his mistakes to get his confidence back it wasn't going to really happen in boston and maybe he would have succeeded but he has like a 70 percent better chance of being a good player in indiana than he does in boston so it makes sense from a value perspective to give him up and then tice like tice just did not play that well in the playoffs last year is pretty up and down i i worry about where his career is going from here maybe getting more playing time in indiana will make him look better but they were well served to move off of him and just get a, a minimum contract player at the five and they were if they were going to make a move they were probably going to have to move his salary anyway because of their tax situation so to be able to just include it in this deal it's phenomenal business so from a business perspective i completely agree from a skill sets perspective i completely agree i my biggest concern and as i say my stance on this has softened drastically my biggest concern was always around the injury the injury history it was very much around the if Malcolm Brogdon gives you 50 games, but those 50 games are separated by two or three injuries, you could say that 15 of those 50 are going to be ramp up games, getting back to fitness. And does Malcolm Brogdon at 35 games or 45 games, if you play 60, give you enough to be worth the money that he's kind of costing you when you look at the tax and everything? That was kind of my biggest concern. Again, I'm far softer on that now, but I do think that the injury the injury history is something that they're going to need to be vigilant with. Obviously, they're going to take care of him. They're going to manage his minutes accordingly. But do you think that, that, that the injury history is something that could reappear this season, or do you think it's been multiple isolated incidents? No, I mean, that's why teams were surprised to cause the first, is because of his injury history. And this is something that he's had his whole career it was the red flag on him back in college that made him fall in the draft. It's still an issue for him. I think the upside is that last year, from everything I've, I've been told, he could have played out the last couple months, or at least last month of the season. They just shelved him. So he, he could have played more games than he actually did last year and would have been presumably healthy in time for a playoff run. So I, I think with him, the concern is always that he hasn't had this gigantic injury and he's just coming from coming back from that like for him it's been small hamstring achilles all these like really concerning areas where he keeps picking up these knocks and so 
I don't I wouldn't be surprised if he plays 60 games a year for the rest of his career and that's probably fine for this team their depth is built to to handle that that's why like I didn't see them getting rid of Derek White when they traded for him because like they need both those guys because they're not going to get 72 75 games out of Brogdon every single year so I think their depth is designed to make sure that his minutes load and his workload is lower than it usually is and I think the way that this entire team th- is designed, it's like nobody needs to play 35 minutes a night on this team anymore. And that's huge when you look at the wear and tear that put, they put on Jason and Jalen last season. And then you look at the wear and tear on Marcus just for the way he plays. And I like the, the only downside to this, really, if you want to like be that negative Neddy and look for a downside, is Peyton Pritchard's minutes are absolutely up in the air again. He's in a similar situation to who he was last season with Schroeder, except there's no chance I can see Brogdon being moved like I was praying for Schroeder to be moved the moment he signed a contract yeah uh, Schroeder moving worked out pretty decently <laughs> um, I just Pritchard hasn't made the strides as a point guard yet for me to think that they want him in that role i think they want him in the off-ball role for the most part and you know maybe year four is or year three he's in he's entering year three right yeah i keep keep forgetting that he hasn't been in the league for uh for four years just because he's so old at this point but you know maybe year three you start to see him have a little bit more you know creative dribble penetration ability a little bit more comfort getting into the paint to make passes and finishing moves out of there but defenses just know that he's not going to shoot the ball when he gets into the paint and it just makes it easier for them to force him to pick that ball up and start pivoting around looking for someone to pass it to and he's not big enough to pass over the top of the defense a lot of the time so you know maybe another year of him with this team allows them to figure out where everybody fits around him and that makes things go better but uh, you know, right now it just it looks to me like he's destined more to be an off-ball shooter than he is an on-ball point guard and that's completely fine as long if there's a role there then that's great i'm just i'm of the mindset that if you look at neesmith as you said neesmith has got a good chance of being successful in indiana romeo to a slightly uh, a better lesser, a better chance not a better good chance, chance a better sorry chance. Yeah. yeah a better chance of being successful in indiana romeo slightly less so but still a a better chance of being successful in San Antonio than what he would in Boston. I can't help but think that maybe there's a, a deal somewhere that puts Peyton Pritchard in a position to be more involved within a team, more involved within an offense and actually have an opportunity to develop more against NBA talent rather than these spot minutes. And maybe that's a way that you can bring back a big, you know, you only need to use one of the smaller TPs to do so. And I'm not even of the mindset that you need a big at this point. It's just, I'm always thinking about the player more than when it's someone at the end of a rotation with a little bit of upside. I'm always like, how can they move and develop who they are? Yeah, I I just, it's weird. Pritchard, I think, has gotten his reps to run point enough that I don't think it's a situation like Neesmith where he just hasn't gotten the opportunity. I think he has gotten the opportunity. I, I think it's just, a, it's a size and a handle thing. And I know that for a lot of people, they'll be like, they'll be surprised because uh, Pritchard is famous for the dribbling drills that he did and stuff like that. I think you'll be one surprised to find out that most point guards did that kind of stuff when they were coming up. 
And even if he does have a great ability to like keep a dribble alive and do all those kind of drills, there's a difference between that and being strong enough and big enough to hold off an NBA defender and still keep your dribble alive. And to be able to do dribble moves where you're still getting by a defender instead of keeping your dribble alive. And we just haven't seen enough of those to make me think that he's going to be a dynamic enough playmaker to be a backup point guard for them, which they don't really need him to be anyway with the Brogdon addition. They really need him to be an absolute sniper. Yeah, which is they they put him in a lot of inverted screens to get him open as a shooter on mismatches like throughout the majority of the back end of the season in the playoffs. So that and then if I remember correctly, Udoka actually spoke about him kind of challenging Pritchard to develop as a screener and somebody that can just operate off the catch. I think that happened. I think Udoka spoke about that in February, not long after they moved on from Schroeder. Yeah, I actually remember asking Peyton something about that um, and. I think it was about how he's been focusing on developing uh, off-ball shooting skills and shooting guard skills, and how that and like how does it feel kind of getting empowered more to be a point guard, and how because he hasn't been working on that as much, and he's like, oh no, I'm a point guard. I've been working on being a point guard, like kind of classic cocky Peyton Pritchard uh, style response. So I know in his head, as much as they're trying to get him to round out his game, there he's still dead set on becoming a good playmaker and being entrusted to be that point guard totally fair if it works out it's one thing if it doesn't then you're gonna have to you'll get to a position where you start to adapt otherwise you don't stick absolutely so we've talked we've looked at took <laughs> we've looked at Cavangere, we've looked at davison gallo brogdon i think the only thing left is the t obviously letting the tpe expire my personal take on that was when you got brogdon the necessity to use that tpe pretty much vanished I'm not upset at all that that didn't get used. I feel like Stevens has earned enough of uh, ha- enough of goodwill to kind of believe that he just didn't believe there was value on the table for that for that TPA. Well, yeah, I mean that the Brogdon trade was the TPA deal, so yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I I think I mentioned a couple times over the last week that I heard they were looking to potentially use it just to bring in some deep depth, but at that point, you're looking at bringing in a you know guy making a little bit over the minimum because of the tax situation yeah you know, if you brought i remember doing the math and if you brought in someone making the full 17 million they were going to cost like an extra like 75 million dollars in tax so it's like that's absurd you're not going to do that the only way they were using the whole thing is if they were sending somebody out and there was nobody on this roster that made sense for them to send out at that point like tice was the only other guy that had bloated salary relative to their value everybody else is being paid pretty well so do you think when you look at the way this roster is now, do you subscribe that they need another big man or do you just subscribe they need another wing? Or would you be happy to keep those two roster spots open or one like bring in somebody to fill out the bench and keep a roster spot open moving forwards? Uh, I, I think they will probably leave one roster spot open. I, I definitely think they're going to bring somebody else in. And then maybe one of their summer league guys like Broderick Thomas could secure that spot. Maybe J.D. Davison gets promoted to one of the spots. But I, I think that I, I would like to see them get another big, you know, fee fee. I like him, but he's, you know, he's a summer league guy. He's not a vet. And I think there are some vets out there that maybe you can get that could be that anchor big. And they need somebody that can do what Begaron does. And I don't think Begaron is ready for that role. So I could see them getting another athletic wing that has like a seven foot wingspan. Uh, that's more of a defensive specialist. So I think those are probably the kinds of guys that they're going to target, somebody with experience. There's not a lot of those. There's very few of those guys left even for like the minimum at this point. So 
I'm not sure where I don't I don't know where it's going to come from because I don't know I don't see a center on the free agent market left that makes sense for them. All the guys that are left are like longtime vets that have some you know red flags on fit expectations stuff like that. So I don't think it's going to be any of those guys. I don't think like I don't see Hassan Whiteside coming in. I'd rather just try it out with you know Kamengele. Uh, I'll try to learn his name properly by the uh, by training camp, but I'd rather try it out with him and give him the minutes than go for Whiteside at this point. I think, but it obviously depends on them talking to Whiteside and figuring it out, or you know any other example of that kind of player. So. I, I do think they need to go into the trade market and you know, get another get another big for cash considerations or you know protective second round pick out in the future or something like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they did something along those lines. And Nolan's Noel. No, no, not nearly at that capability. Like, <laughs> we can uh, dream, like, man. Yeah, like no, like someone who's not supposed to play at all. They're just there as like deep backup help. You know, Thomas Bryant was the guy they tried to get. They tried to get him to sign the minimum. He didn't take it. He went for the Lakers. You know, someone along those lines. It's like a, a vet with experience that their value is either very low because of injury and they're trying to be healthy again, or they're just not quite good enough and they're just trying to kind of prove that they're good enough to be in a rotation in the NBA. That's fair. And just the last question I have for you really is, do you think Justin Jackson did enough to earn a look at training camp and potentially snag one of those two open roster spots? I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets invited to training camp. He he kind of looked like the same player to me that he's always looked like. So, you know, they brought him in from time to time, and I could see them doing that again, and he's like Theo Pinson for them this year or something like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the look, and he is a, what is he, 6'7"? around so you know he's a, he's a big wing he does a little bit of everything so I, I could totally see him being that guy there I just think they will probably continue to look for someone that they can trade for who's making two or three million dollars and you know give up some kind of meaningless asset in order to get him that's fair completely fair so with that just to wrap it up I just wanted to um you know, it's the end of the season. I usually do media exit interviews and I haven't done them this year just because the season ran on so much longer than what most people expected at the start of the year. So just, you've been all over the country. I, as I said before, before we started recording, whenever I check out your Instagram page, there's always some really cool like statues or artwork wherever you are. What would you say has been your favorite place this year that you've visited, whether it's just like, you know, you've been in LA and you've gone to a certain part of Los Angeles, maybe for me it'd be Venice Beach or where, just a specific area where you're like, I have to go there again next season. Wow, that's a great question. I have to pull up my Instagram now and try to think. I mean, <laughs> There's I, hundreds. I had an amazing time in Miami, obviously, during the conference finals. That was an absolute grind had a wonderful time so you know it's hard it's hard to beat brickle like brickle's pretty amazing um let's see i mean i love new york I, well one thing i did that i really cherished was uh the celtics were on a road trip at the very end of the uh, regular season and i wasn't on that trip so i went to sedona for a couple days and that was incredible so uh, if anyone doesn't know sedona is like where the red rock mountains are out north of phoenix it's actually pretty close to phoenix so that was great i really love that um so i'd say probably miami and sedona were like my two favorite places this year and then you went away as well right didn't you go to a nordic country if i remember correctly no i the only time i've been in the nordic country was i flew i flew through oslo on my way to to paris i think Hmm. i'm sure years ago 
maybe we had a discussion and you said there was a really nice airport there. I'm, I might be wrong. Okay. Oh, I've definitely, I probably talked about, I, actually, I, I was in Copenhagen for like a layover for like nine hours on one of those trips a couple of years ago, but no, I've never, I've never actually gotten a chance to step foot outside of one of the, uh, one of the Nordic countries. I stand corrected. Well, to be fair, I'd, you put up a lot of really cool stuff. I get really <laughs> jealous when I went up through the stories, but it's awesome, man. I mean, you uh, started off at Celtics blog and now you're literally globetrotting. It's just, I get a lot of miles in my job. It's nice. Thank you. Shout out to The Athletic for putting me everywhere. <laughs> well, as usual, man, I really appreciate you spending the time, to taking the time to come and join the show. Um, everyone's going to know where to find you, but if they live under a rock, where can they find you? Just find me on Adam Taylor's Twitter, I guess. I mean, I retweet a lot. And, and I greatly appreciate it. You're my best marketing <laughs> agent. <laughs> Uh, I'll put all the links into the into the description. I'm sure everybody already follows you. Yeah, uh, Jared, and if you don't follow Jared Weiss MBA for Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, if you don't follow him on Instagram, you should. Even if it's just to like get those jealous views up of everywhere awesome that he is. Because seriously, some of the artwork I'm like, I think I DM'd you recently. Like, where were you for this? Because this is amazing. Oh, really? I can't even remember. <laughs> I do get a few of those, you know, but. uh no, I highly recommend to people if you have any flexibility, even if it's just to travel in your area, jump in the car. It's travel. I, I didn't travel much when I was young. Didn't realize how important traveling was until I had a roommate who literally just traveled the world in their spare time. Went to like insane places. Like they went to Kazakhstan. They went to caves in Vietnam. They went to like Botswana. Like all these remarkable places that I realized, okay, I'm kind of stuck in my little bubble here in Boston. I got to go expand. So I try to get out of the house whenever I can. I need to do that more because it's very easy to kind of just fall into your little bubble and stay there. Hey, you're close to London. Hop on the train and go. No, I'd go the opposite. I'd go further south. I'd keep going past London. Yeah, at that point, just go to France, go to France, go to Spain. Yeah, I like France. I like Spain. Right, everybody, thank you for listening. Sorry it's been a delay. It's probably been like, what, a week since the last time I put some out. So we'll be back to normal schedule now. Jared, again, thank you very much, man. really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating.